44 million. That's the pounds of trash and recycling that New Yorkers generate every day. The agency charged with collecting and disposing residential waste and overseeing the system for commercial collection is the New York City Department of Sanitation. The department collects refuse, two different types of separated recyclables, and is now starting to collect compostable material citywide. And of course, it also removes snow, sweeps the streets, cleans lots, removes graffiti, and more. And let's not forget, part of its mandate these days is to reduce the estimated 3 million rats in New York City. Hello, I'm Andrew Ryan, the president of the Citizens Budget Commission. Thanks for joining us for this episode of What's the Data Point, which will feature a recording of one of our live events. Today, we will hear from New York City Sanitation Commissioner Jessica Tisch. These certainly are interesting and challenging times. As we've come out of the pandemic, New York remains an amazing, compelling place that people want to move to, stay, and visit. Still, other places are becoming more diverse demographically and economically and providing more amenities and opportunities. Remote work makes being anywhere easier and New York's affordability challenges are real. So the question looms. Is New York City's value proposition holding? Will New York continue to have the quality of life and the amenities that make it a great place to live and work so that we all thrive? Fortunately, Mayor Adams put an experienced hand at the helm of sanitation. Commissioner Jessica Tisch is one of the key people ensuring that New Yorkers' quality of life is maintained and improves. Since April 2022, Jessica Tisch has been leading the Department of Sanitation's work in what she would call New York's trash revolution. Prior to this role, she ran the New York City Department of Information Technology and Telecommunications, where she implemented efforts to facilitate remote work during the pandemic. She began her city service with a dozen years at the New York Police Department, including as Deputy Commissioner for Information Technology. This conversation this week is extra special since it's led by CBC Chair Marissa Shorenstein. So stay tuned as Commissioner Tisch and Marissa Shorenstein talk about rats, composting, containerization, the impact of the tight budget, sanitation truck and bin redesign, and more. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And until next time, when you hear a public official talk about a policy, a program, or a proposal, always remember to ask, what's the data point? call you commissioner. Really? I've known Marissa since we're little, which is why it's a little weird for her to call I'm me still commissioner, little. but whatever works for you. <laughs> we were joking that I needed the step stool to get up here this morning. Anyway. So welcome to CBC. Thank you so much for coming. Um, before we get into the nitty gritty about some of the work you're doing, following along um, Andrew's introduction, You've devoted your career to city government. You spent over a decade at the NYPD. You were do it. Now you're at sanitation. Somehow I've managed to work with you in all of those places. Sure have. You're known as someone who sets big goals and finds a way to get things done. And so you must feel that city government is a place where progress is possible um, at a time when you know many people may doubt that. Can you talk about? how you do what you do, how you don't let inertia stop you from getting things done. You have a reputation that is one of the best in the city in terms of being able to do that. So can you just talk a little bit about how you've done that throughout your career? Um, thank you, Marissa. I, um, I do believe, I know, that city government is a place where you can get a lot of things done. And I look at 
the bureaucratic processes that would slow progress and busting through them truly is sport. I mean, that's really what gets me coming back for more every day is coming and thinking like, how are we going to clear away these hurdles to make progress on this thing that we think is, is important. And I have always felt in government, I think I've learned this after 15 years, like where there is a will, there is a way usually. Um, and actually when I started at, at sanitation, a lot of people said to me, Oh, you don't know anything about trash. You never worked at the department. Like, why sanitation or why would that be a good fit? And I really believe that in these in government jobs, understanding the city, understanding the bureaucracy, understanding the contracting process, understanding all of the budgeting process and all of the administrative processes, that's two thirds the battle. And that stuff is actually takes longer to learn oftentimes than the general specific substance of the agency. And oftentimes it is those administrative things that really get in the way of process. So having done this stuff now for 15 years, and really I think I'm beginning to master some of these administrative processes, that's why I think you're able to see a lot of progress coming out of the department. Am I allowed to ask you which of the three has been your favorite agency? Oh, I'll get myself in trouble. The sanitation department, of course. Obviously. <laughs> um, I really enjoy sanitation, and I really enjoyed uh, my time at the NYPD. Um, I look back at each stint that I've had based on like what type of progress I was able to make there, and that generally uh, dictates my, my feelings on it. Um, do it was horrible, like truly horrible, because I showed up there a week before the pandemic. And I rolled in, I was like, all right, we're gonna do a little modernization for two years. And then I was like, surprise, everything has to go online and you have to build a contact tracing system and a vaccination system. Good luck, we need it in two weeks. And it was truly horrible. Yeah, I think we just made some news here. <laughs> all right. So it feels like there's a bit of a revolution underway at the sanitation department. Trash revolution. Trash revolution. You yeah. heard it here first. Um, from an outsider's point of view, it, it seems like there's been sort of a one-size-fits-all approach to how trash is handled. But the city is very geographically diverse. Um, and it seems like it requires much more of a surgical approach um, than what's been done in the past. Can you just talk a little bit about your vision, what you came in thinking about when you took this job, um, and and how you've made some organizational change to get to where you want to be? Yeah, I um, by no means am dissing anyone who came before me at the Department of Sanitation. I'm very close to a number of previous sanitation commissioners. Um, when I showed up, the work that had been done for the previous really two decades was very important, but not customer facing work. So it was, we're going to shut down fresh kills and we're going to build a series of marine transfer stations. And instead of dumping all of our waste in Staten Island, we are going to export our waste. 
and transforming from you know trucks dumping in Staten Island to sending our waste on boats and then trains and then trucks was a massive overhaul. And that took about two decades to really like envision and build out and implement. So when I rolled into sanitation, there'd been very little time and effort placed on the customer facing side of sanitation. So how people leave out their trash bags, what time they leave their trash bags out, do they put it in a container? And so one of the great joys of this job for me now is that all of that back of the house stuff, it's done. I mean, it doesn't exactly run itself, but it, it's up, it's operational, it's functional. And I spend a lot of my time, I, I have the luxury of spending a lot of my time on thinking about the stuff that New Yorkers see and feel related to trash. And it's been about two decades since the department has had the bandwidth to focus on those types of things. So talk a little bit more about your vision. If you could. So every day, New York City produces 44 million pounds of trash and recycling, which like, I laugh because it sounds completely absurd. 24 million is residential, 20 million is commercial. And forever, the paradigm in New York City has been, for businesses and residences, like basically, oh, let's put the trash out on the street whenever we feel like it, because why do we want to leave it in, inside? And, and at the Department of Sanitation, the thinking was, it doesn't matter really how long it's set on the street, like we'll just you know pick it up like 24 hours after it's left, left out. And so we had this world where like New York City was, is rightfully called trash city. There were 44 million pounds of trash on our streets all day, every day. And like my passion in life is busting up trash city. And first, shrinking the amount of time that 44 million pounds of trash and recycling sit on our curbs every day. And second, in those limited hours when it is sitting outside, it shouldn't be sitting on the ground in black bags. It needs to go into containers like, frankly, every modern city around the world. Like over the past decade, two decades, most cities around the world have really innovated in their customer-facing management of trash, and New York City hasn't. And so what we're doing today, or what we're doing now at Sanitation, I don't think it's revolutionary. We are literally playing a massive game of catch-up with the rest of the world. Okay, so let's get into a bit of the nitty-gritty. We're going to start with rats, Okay, our favorite. Don't want to belabor it, but there are an obscene number of rats in this city. Obviously, as you just talked a little bit about, the most meaningful way to deal with the problem is choking off the food supply, containerization, reducing time on the street. Where are we with that plan? What are the issues around compliance? And how has the restaurant on the street situation impacted your plans. Okay. That anyone is surprised that in a city where we put 44 million pounds of trash bags on the street every day, one third of that material is human food, which also happens to be 
rat food. That anyone is surprised that we have a rat problem, like, you got to check your head. Like, obviously. So we, and the solution, it's, as I said before, it's really just so obvious. Instead of putting the rat food on the ground, you put it in bins. And so this has been our real war that we have been waging at the Department of Sanitation. And I'll tell you about our progress. Let's start with the commercial trash. 20 million pounds of commercial trash a day. We started with restaurants, bodegas, bars, delis, food service businesses, the types of businesses that produce an outsized amount of food waste. And we did something very controversial. We said to all of those food businesses, you need to put your trash in a wheelie bin. And everyone said, oh my God, it is just not possible. We will never be able to put this trash in the wheelie bin. How will it work? Where will we store them? All of these things. And like, P.S., the rule went into effect, and the restaurants and the bodegas and the bars and delis, they all just figured it out. We were pretty flexible with where we allowed people to store their wheelie bins. They could store them indoors. They could store them outside against the property line. They could store them three feet from, within three feet of the building line. And everyone just figured it out. And we were like, oh, my God, it's working. The rat numbers are going down. Let's keep going. So then we went to chain stores because chain stores produce a lot of more, more waste than the average business too. So like the, sorry, Verizon's here, like the Verizon store, the Chase Bank, chain stores. They got their trash in containers that worked. And then recently we announced that all businesses in New York City come March 1st will have to put their trash in wheelie bins. Now we've done the same thing on the residential side. Last week, the mayor announced that all buildings, um, one to nine units, will have to put their trash come next fall in a standardized, gorgeous, New York City <laughs> residential <laughs> container like they do everywhere else on the globe. And we're designing that bin now. And then on the higher density, like the mid and high density, where the wheelie bins, it's just too many wheelie bins for like so many units, um, we are piloting in West Harlem fixed on street containers that we mechanically hoist. And we're actually developing the truck right now, the automatic side loader that you have so much of or you see so much in Europe, but doesn't really exist in the United States in the way that we would need to use it in a Let's dense talk a little bit more about that truck. Yeah, let's it do doesn't, it. It doesn't exist here, as it you doesn't. just said. Yeah. You're developing a prototype. You're working with vendors. How, how much is that going to cost us, and how are you going to make that work? I actually don't think that it's going to be a huge budget impact. You know, uh, we have about, like, 2,500 collection trucks, 4,000, like, when you count the salt spreaders and all that. So, like, that's the size of our fleet spend about, generally, our capital budget is a billion dollars over five years just for trucks, for, for equipment. This year, interestingly, we spent $432 million just on trucks because during COVID for three years, the department didn't buy any trucks. And so our fleet was incredibly old. That's just a nice, interesting, fun fact. Um, but... This is what we consider fun facts, I know. and gentlemen. I know, you can read the room. <laughs> um, <laughs> but point is, trucks don't last forever. And every year you're buying about $150 million at least, $200 million worth of new trucks. 
So I think that as our rollout begins and expands, I don't think it's gonna be a dramatic new need. I think it will be accounted for by just buying a different type of truck, a side loading truck rather than only rear loaders. Before we move on, just going back to container, containerization for a moment, one of my extraordinary pet peeves is that on the corners of the streets, there are still trash cans that have holes in them. And so you're doing all this work on these containerizations for all the trash from restaurants and everywhere else. But as long as those things are on the corners, how is that going to work? I agree with you. The mesh litter baskets are truly disgusting, truly of a different era and like totally need to go. And we've designed or, or started producing what I think is a gorgeous new litter basket of the future, <laughs> which had been in the works for, I don't know, six years. And then I showed up at sanitation. I was like, ooh, these mesh litter baskets are terrible. And they were like, well, we have something. We did a competition like six years ago. What do you think? And I was like, why haven't these gone out yet? Um, and again, that's all just about putting a contract in place. So anyway, long story short, those litter baskets are going out. The new ones, they are rat proof. They're very good looking and they're replacing the mesh litter basket. And the goal is to make the mesh litter basket a thing of the past. And when I just try to remind everyone is no one wants to see that. That is like the last thing that should be see-through, a litter basket. So we're going to move to composting. And let me tell you, I know a lot about composting. So when I... You do? I do. Do you know why? No. I'll tell you why. I married a Swede. Oh. And the deal right. was that he'd become a Jew and I'd compost. <laughs> This is a true story. My entire life revolves around composting. Okay. I compost every type of possible. Like in your home? Oh, yes. I have something called a loamy. We make dirt. Great. We have nowhere to put our dirt, but we make a lot of dirt every day. Anyway, uh, so let's talk about composting. This is obviously... <laughs> Welcome to my life. Uh, this is a very important program for the future of not just the city, but the world for a lot of obvious reasons. But similar to, I think, just trash in general, it, it requires cultural change. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about how you bring that cultural change about. Sure. And I think you can speak to that more broadly about just trash in general. For instance, we were in Japan this summer. So clean. Different culture. Totally. Obviously, we're it's not amazing. We're not ever going to be like that here, no. but there are no trash cans at all, period. Right, and everyone People brings their People take their home. trash home. When you go to a public bathroom, there are no paper towels because everyone brings their own towel. So just talk to me a little bit about how, how you're going to... Is there a marketing campaign? How are you going to educate people? Like, How is this going to happen? So as you know... We are rolling out universal curbside composting to every, all 3.5 million residences in New York City. The mayor said he was committed to doing composting, but he needed two things out of this program. He needed it to be 
cost effective, meaning we're not like spending a ridiculous fortune running this service and we're doing it in a way that is like budget conscious and scalable. So cost effective and effective, meaning one that people actually use. So we have we piloted a program in Queens and one of the key pieces of the program to make it effective, to get people to use it, was to go door to door and also like to send send mailers with very simple, clear, easy to use message. Okay? In old programs, they would knock on people's door and talk to them about methane. And I'm sorry, like most people in New York City, they have a lot of problems. Like they are not, they don't have like the capacity on a day-to-day basis to worry about methane. And so instead of talking at them, we are talking to them. When we go door to door, we talk to them about rats and how getting the food waste out of the trash bags is the best rat fighting strategy anyone could imagine. We talk to them about in, in um, districts that are, are leaf and yard waste districts, we talk to them about their leaves. Hey, it's gonna be the fall, you're gonna have so many leaves, guess what? We are gonna collect them every week on your recycling day, just set them out next to your recycling. And instead of sitting in landfill, we're gonna make soil out of them or, renewable energy and by marketing it as a service talking to people talking in the context of what people actually care about what their day-to-day problems are we saw a massive uptake in queens in that first three months which has now allowed us to start the process of rolling it out citywide but it really is about how you market it. Now, soon it's going to become mandatory in New York City. And I have no interest in giving fines to any New Yorker at the current time for failing to participate in a curbside composting program. And the reason why is like, you are 100% right. It is a complete change to your habits and your household And you need to give people an opportunity, a real opportunity, to develop the muscle memory necessary, like before you can start even thinking about finding people for it. And so, like, but you will, you will start finding people. Eventually, probably, it's like in like two years or something. But like, the, the fact of the matter is that the vast majority of New York residents have never had access to a curbside composting program. So going out of the gate and saying, oh, we need the tonnage up. Like, no, you need to give people an opportunity to get used to it and then go after the tonnage. And you need to position it at first, not as a punitive thing, but as a thing that is going to help them. The program that we are rolling out now is one third the cost of previous curbside organics programs. Two ways we did that. First, we run it on straight time rather than overtime. So we're paying people, we aren't paying people time and a half, we hired more sanitation workers. Second, mind-blowing, we use dual bin trucks instead of single bin trucks to limit the number of additional truck starts we have. So the refuse goes in one side of the truck and the organics goes in the other side of the truck. I'm making it sound a little more simple than it is, but like this truly wasn't rocket science. So you're saying that even though you're subdividing the waste 
you're still able to efficiently pick it up even though there's more types. Yeah, yes, the, the same truck in, in low density areas, meaning in areas where the trash isn't heavy enough that you'd fill a single rear loader with refuse, if you give them a truck that has two compartments, one for trash and one for organics, then they can service both at the same stop. What about something the CBC supports, which is pay as you throw? I don't support that. And why I'll tell not? you why. Go to Hunts Point. You will see the most profound illegal dumping problem that you can imagine. And that's this. In New York City, residential trash is the last all-you-can-consume free service. Commercial trash isn't. Turns out, not everyone, but there are some businesses and some contractors that don't want to pay to dispose of their waste. So instead of paying to dispose of their waste, they will take their waste and they will dump it on communities that they think that no one cares about. And it is a profound problem in the communities that it affects. We started putting up cameras all over like these areas. Like if you live in a community, you know where your illegal dumping locations are, okay, in these communities. We started putting up cameras and we catch people right and left, right under these damn cameras, dumping their waste. We issue them $4,000 summonses. We put them, the video of them doing it on social media. We impound their car. There's real consequences. Long way of saying, illegal dumping today is a big problem in many parts of the city. If we start charging for residential trash, illegal dumping is going to become an even bigger problem in the city, and that is not a problem that I am um, going to like thrust upon New Yorkers and New York residents. Okay, interesting. So let's, I only have a few more minutes here. Great. I need to get through a couple more questions. Let's talk a little bit about the budget. You have a performance management system called Trash Dash. You just talked about the fact that you're finding a cost-effective way to manage the composting. But the truth is you have a peg savings plan that you need to meet, right? And composting is costly, especially during a time when we're under some fiscal stress. So how are you managing the budget you know, we're working right now for the November plan through how we are going to achieve our PEG savings programs. Um, so I don't have a firm answer today, but I will say like, as the mayor said, the budget crisis is significant. We need the help of the federal government and there will be a meaningful change to the level of service that New York's strongest are able to offer as a, as a result. There is no, I mean, we, we just need to be honest about that. And the, and the mayor has, has said that, and it won't just be us. It'll be every agency. As to which programs and which pieces, um, I don't have a definitive answer yet, but like, you can't not collect the trash, right? Like, have you thought about lengthening routes? So lengthening routes is, you know, in the sanitation contract, there is a crazy 
metric in there, which is how much stuff the sanitation workers are supposed to be able to collect. And from the trash, it's 10.7 tons. In truth, that number has been in there for two decades. Sanitation has never hit those numbers. They have never come close to hitting those numbers. And so it's not even something that's like even like worth conversation is like hitting these unhittable benchmarks. But in terms of lengthening routes, yeah, we do that all the time. We're always fine tuning the routes that we run. Just six months ago, we like almost lengthened almost every route in the city. It's something that is standard practice in, in the department. And what about reducing OT? So a lot of our programs, in particular our cleanliness programs, are budgeted to run on overtime. So a lot of our basket routes, um, our targeted neighborhood task force, which does the cleaning of the forgotten parts of the city, our, our highway program. So when you see sanitation department overtime, it's not like, oh, they weren't able to get the job they were supposed to get done done on straight time. It's like, no, that is a very specific part of our, our budget. So the reduction in overtime is actually will be like a hit to some of the programs that we run. But again, the, this is not a problem that the city brought on itself. We need the help of the federal government. And the mayor has been clear that, that um, all services, and in particular, like a lot of the essential services, are going to take a hit as a result. Okay. My last question before we open it up. This is a personal pet peeve of mine. So ever since I've been a kid, every time I see, to this day, and I'm in my mid-40s, every time I see one of those street sweeper thingamajigs, I like run the other way. It appears to me that they are blowing trash everywhere and creating more of a mess. And every time I see one, I get into a complete and utter panic. Why do we have these things and what do they do? Marissa. <laughs> I... It was like you, and I have very, like, quickly, like, came to see the light. Would you believe that on an average shift, a single mechanical broom takes 1,500 pounds of litter off of New York City streets? I would not streets? believe it. I do not. But here's the thing. They don't work if people don't move their cars for alternate side of the street parking. And so the, the big problem that we have with the sweepers is not that they don't collect or they blow it all over the place. Like, that's the myth. We'll do a video where we empty one there and show trash people. trash juice that comes out. During COVID, the curb lines looked god-awful. Everyone talked about it. They really looked terrible. And that was because we weren't, no one had to move their car. Like the alternate side parking was cut back substantially. When the sweeper can get to the curb line, it makes a massive, meaningful difference. The problem that we have right now is not the one that you talk about. It's not blowing it all over the place. It does collect trash. It's that they can't do their jobs as well as they should be able to do their jobs because we don't have the compliance with alternate side parking, which is why this year... I want Albany to pass legislation that will give the Department of Sanitation the authority to put automatic ticketing systems 
on our street sweepers and do exactly what the MTA has done with the bike lanes. We really need these cars to move for alternate side parking. Sorry. Okay, so they're here to stay. All right. Uh, we are going to open it up for questions now. So we can ask some of your hard-hitting ones. Andrew, I'm going to let you lead this piece of... Okay, questions as I look, um, Margo, and then Jack. I'm Margo Nee, I'm the general counsel for Link NYC. I know that. Nice <laughs> to see you, Jesse. <laughs> nice to see you too. Um, first, I want to say that I very much appreciate the sense of humor that the Department of Sanitation has brought to all of the projects. Um, it's been our privilege to run some of the ad campaigns on Link. As a dog owner, my personal favorite was There Is No Poop Fairy. I think that'll be hard to beat. Um, my question is about residential containerization. Um, as you mentioned, more than 50% of the trash in New York comes from residences. And it will be, I think, an equally large lift to get New Yorkers to change their behavior to adopt containerized trash. And I know that Department of Sanitation has done a lot of research into this, and I'm curious what the adoption rate looks like, how soon you can expect people to start reasonably complying when that does go into effect. So what we saw with the, what we saw with the restaurants, because that rule went into effect and it, it's been some time, was you, there will not be high compliance if there is no enforcement. But as meaning, we, we, the rule went into effect, we did a one month warning period, and then we started summonsing. Once the summonsing started, those wheelie bins came out fast. Um, and so I don't believe in enforcement for the sake of enforcement, but I do believe in enforcement for the sake of like having people adhere to the very basic limited rules that we have in New York City around cleanliness. So it's about good policy, good clear messaging and outreach, and when necessary, real enforcement. And I know sometimes it's controversial or people are afraid to say it, but I am not. None of these things work without meaningful enforcement. I'm looking for my next one. Hi, um, Jack Goot. Um, so on a similar topic uh, on the enforcement side, I mean, it's great about containerization. I frankly haven't seen uh, but that's anecdotal. Are you looking? Uh, I will be. Um, Wait, I, no, this, this no. is like one of the most incredible changes to our cityscape <laughs> in a generation. Is like, you're, you know what? People don't even see what's not there. They don't even see that the black piles of oozing trash are oh, there. No, they're still there, and they're moving with the rats inside. No, no. I, it, <laughs> it can't be, it cannot be that as a person like moving through the city of New York that you are not seeing wheelie bins on every commercial corridor in like mass in the city. How's about this? I'm gonna give you my phone number, you'll give me yours, and I'm going to text you every time okay. I pass and a wheelie bit, as I did with the budget director <laughs> anyway, my question is a month ago. Though. I, I am curious, and it's a very similar question, is um, what is the, how many summonses have been issued? Like what is the level of enforcement? How much, like can you quantify what are, what are we looking at here? Because honestly, without enforcement, it's not going to happen. Yeah, the numbers of summonses are huge, and I can get you the exact numbers afterwards. But 
when we did our warning period for restaurants, we wrote like 35,000 warnings in a, in a month. And so it was like a little, it ended up being a little over a thousand a day. So it is meaningful enforcement. I do get the enforcement numbers every morning. I see the parts of the city where they are. We're not doing the same level enforcement in all parts of the city. We're focusing on um, the high density and the commercial corridors where the rules are actually taking effect and where the problem is most profound, but the enforcement's real. And it's for the first time at the Department of Sanitation, the cleanliness enforcement is real. Like in my trash dash numbers, we're up like 70% this year to last year. And I'd already started a little bit last year on the cleanliness violations. Jake, and then I'm looking for my next after that, so. Thank you. First of all, thanks for the most informative of these breakfasts we had in a long time. Uh, and I'm gonna sneak in two questions if that's okay. Sure. <laughs> First is just if you could speak broadly about the challenges on the labor side of the Department of Sanitation. And then second, on the composting, curious if you ever considered incinerators again for New York in terms of separating uh, organic and uh, inorganic waste. So um, the, let's start with the labor side. Um, what I was mentioning before about these unrealistic expectations that have been around for like 20 or 25 years, no one's ever achieved. I'm all for like going after like a lofty, goal that people think is impossible, like, for example, containerizing all trash in New York City, which we're going to do. But ones that I know are just not achievable, I, I can't, I don't find them useful, like zero waste by 2030. Not a useful goal, because we will not have zero waste by 2030. They knew in 2016 when they announced zero waste by 2030 that we weren't going to have zero waste by 2030. And then 20. 22 rolled around and they've made no progress towards that goal. Anyway, I don't believe in unrealistic goals, but um, we are working on the sanitation workers contract now, which is like very important for, for our labor management and um, trying to make progress there on if we can actually define real achievable benchmarks for the workforce, and I think that any workforce will benefits from that, not just sanitation. Um, the second thing on insincorators, I think insincorators are legal in New York City, and some people use them and many people don't. Um, I don't think it is a strategy that we are like pushing hard on New Yorkers. I think that there are implications for some of our like underground systems, et cetera. Um, so I don't see in sinkerators, it's not certainly not the cornerstone of a strategic strategy on organics. Thanks, Kaz. And then Will. Thanks. Hi, Commissioner. Hi, How are you? This is this was awesome. Just uh, this is one of my favorite topics in the world. Um, the, the question, and I'm glad you just pointed out that zero waste was not a goal. You know, not something that was realistic when it was announced. It was absurd. Yes, um, but however, how are you? Um, you mentioned at the very beginning of this talk the you know what had happened during the 20 years before, which was the setting up of the marine transfer stations to ship out all the waste and how much we spend on that. How are you thinking about what is a reasonable goal 
for the city uh, in terms of trying to reduce that um, volume and um, is this part of a, you know, there's a new swamp that has to... The volume of trash? Yeah, exactly. Huh. I'm really not thinking about how I or the department can reduce the volume of, of trash because, like, it's really not our place. I wish people would create less trash. I wish that the state legislature would pass the EPR bill already, which they've talked about for two years. That would go a long way in terms of uh, reducing the volume of waste we produce. But I'm also like very realistic that you can't, like you have limited things that you can say to New Yorkers and one of, it would not be productive to say, please produce less. Um, I do think that EPR is like the strategic thing now that could actually make a dent. And I hope that the state will get it together um, in this session to figure that out once and for all. What was your other question? That was it. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> Jake had two questions. Can right. Hi. Is family allowed to ask questions or no? <laughs> yeah. well, like, it, I mean, yes, I have the microphone, so I think. <laughs> uh, sorry, good morning. I'm Will Blodgett. I have a stutter, so I'm going to ask this question, so please bear with me. Uh, one, I also, uh, so I really appreciate the brevity that, that you bring to something as serious as that, that Department of Sanitation. I think it's awesome. Uh, two, um, you have this, you have this, it, sorry, vision that's so bold and so innovative in 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 a industry that perhaps is not, and um, it's also you you have. I mean, I think there are, what are like you know, eighty five hundred people now at the Department of Sanitation. It's a huge organization. When a CEO comes into an organization that's in the sorry, private sector with a vision that you have that's bold and innovative, they have huge issues in the, in the private sector. Um, you're in a sector where, like I think you hear all the time, or at least I would think you hear all the time, this is how we've always done and this is how it works. How do you get through that, and how are you able to get so much done in, 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 in with that? You know, people are very in trenched uh, in such a in such a short amount of time thanks for that question well I reject the status quo not for the sake of rejecting the status quo but like when the status quo is gross which I think was the status quo in in New York City around trash I also think generally the hard work of government is not necessarily coming up with the brilliant idea that no one has thought of before. Like, let's just like look at my career for a second. Police department. I was known for putting up cameras and giving every cop a phone with apps on it. None of that was revolutionary in and of itself. It was revolutionary for the department, but it was playing a massive game of catch up for an agency that had not made progress on the tech front in a while. Same thing at do it. Use Salesforce to build a vaccination system for the city and a contact tracing system. Again, not revolutionary, just like government doing a thing 
that many other companies and businesses have done before. And then also here with sanitation, again, like putting the, the trash instead of on the floor in a bin, not revolutionary. Every, um, every city in the world does it. So government's different than business because you can get like an A plus in government if you just don't tolerate the status quo and you just try to do what everyone else is doing and what the modern thing to do is. Because in government you feel inertia. There's like not really like points or credit for busting through it generally. It's like different. It's like not like your profit margin goes up. Um, and so my career really has been shaped about rejecting the status quo and like fighting like hell to make progress in places where progress absolutely has to be made. And that's how I pick my jobs. So I went, everyone's like, why did you go to sanitation? I was like, well, the city was filthy. Anyway. And one more right there, our last question. Thank you, Steve. Hi, uh, Bill Hubbard. Five years ago, we sublet space from a law firm <clears throat> at 437 Madison Avenue. The law firm <clears throat> leased three whole floors. We produce a large amount of trash every day. Has that situation changed for the office buildings in the city? Many office buildings in the city, I don't know the specific one you're talking about, but many office buildings in the city have loading docks, and so the trash isn't on the street, but I don't know the specific uh, issue you're asking about. Recycling whatsoever. Oh, I mean, there are recycling rules and in many cases now organics rules in place for businesses um, around the city as well as residences. Um, we do do some enforcement of it. As I've, I've said today, much of our enforcement work um, over the past year has been around cleanliness, but we still do do a healthy amount of enforcement where we go through the trash bags and see is there metal glass, plastic, paper, things that should be in the recycling bin in the trash bags. So the only way that that changes is with, is with enforcement and we do do that type of enforcement. Let's give Commissioner Tish a huge thank, thank you. you for being here today. All right.